Imagine living your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, and I am so glad to be here with you again for this week's episode, which features another interview with someone who has some interesting perspectives to share with Women in the Middle. Today, we're talking about taking a feminist look at midlife and body image. You know what I'm talking about. Saggy boobs, wrinkles, lines, chin hair, thinning hair, your stomach, your thighs all of it. There's so many things. Now, before we go any further into the episode, I have to warn you that today we're dropping more than a few F-bombs on the Women in the Middle podcast. So if you're listening while driving with the kids or listening to this episode out in the open with other people walking around, you may want to pop your headphones on or plan to listen another time. And if you're offended by this level of cursing, you may want to take a pass on this episode. And if you don't care, then you're in the right place. Okay, ladies, let's dive in. Every once in a while, I interview someone who just freaking cuts to the chase and shares in a way that makes you laugh and think so hard your brain hurts. And this week, it's one of those unique interviews. My special guest today is the one, the only, Kara Lowenthal. Kara is a master certified coach and host of the Unfuck Your Brain podcast. Three years ago, she did what every Jewish parent dreams of for their child. She left her legal career running a think tank to become a life coach. Now she teaches feminist women how to undo the effects of the patriarchy in their brains and create true, authentic confidence from inside. She's grown her coaching business from zero to seven figures in the last three years and is passionate about teaching women how to overcome anxiety and self-doubt so they can take on the world. Kara and I are both instructors at the Life Coach School, where we met earlier this year. My eyes lit up when I realized she was a fellow short girl, and I was instantly drawn to her unique and straight-shooting perspective on body image, and I can't wait to introduce you to her here. The other thing that's so cool for me is that this interview comes on the heels of an amazing experience I had just last week with Mama Gina and the School of Womenly Arts. If you don't know about Mama Gina and her movement, you just got to check it out and I'll post the links in the show notes. I participated in something called The Experience. Now I'll read the description from the website. It's a live weekend long, one of a kind and a little bit mysterious learning experience in New York City for women only. It is really designed to initiate women into a more delicious, pleasurable, and powerful way of being. And like I said, the timing of participating in that event and this interview with Kara is also delicious. Kara's expertise and focus on helping women understand what's really going on in their minds when they think about their changing bodies and self-image, it's super important to share, and I'm thrilled to do just that. Aging and your changing body is part of the midlife transition. There's no doubt about it. It's also something that can put some of us in a bit of a midlife funk. And it's also difficult to embrace, sometimes, how aging affects your body and your mind. 
So many changes. Because of socialization, we don't even question so much of what we think about these changes. We pretty much, we're just on autopilot with our thoughts. Kara's perspective will help you take a deeper look at your own thoughts so that you can learn to make intentional decisions about what you actually want to think and feel on purpose about what's going on with that older, beautiful, and undervalued body of yours. It can be tricky because of the social conditioning to think that older is worse, not better, not average, not equal. It's easier and common to think about younger as more desirable. Younger is thought to be better. Emphasis on thoughts. And one more thing, I have to tell you, Kara is a fast-talking New Yorker who will crack you up, so be prepared. Get ready, girlfriend. We're going in. We're digging in about feminism, aging, body changes, self-confidence, self-loathing, thought work, self-acceptance, patriarchy, stereotypes, stigma, and lizards. Yes, lizards. (laughs) It's really time to start thinking about what you could actually do if you spent less time worrying about your personal appearance. Let's do this. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Cara. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Women in the Middle podcast. It's my pleasure. I'm so glad to be here. So I was super excited to talk to you about this topic of how midlife women think about their amazing aging bodies in not so amazing ways. (laughs) I knew that your feminist slant to the whole topic of self-love and just the way we think about aging would be absolutely perfect to turn this topic on its ear. So to get started, can you please just, let's just start by you sharing a little bit about what drives your passion to work with women about undoing the patriarchy in their brains. Why does this get you so excited? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Uh, You know, I've been a feminist since I can remember and usually a pretty like loud and obnoxious one at that. Um, And to me, I think, you know, I had this feminist background, but I was always very personally stressed out and insecure and anxious. And it was like very confusing to me because I had these kind of political and feminist beliefs about women's capability and confidence and equality. Um, And then, but personally, I didn't feel any of that. And so (laughs) when I discovered coaching work and learned how to actually change my thoughts and create my own personal development and confidence and happiness, what I realized was that a lot of what I had assumed to be kind of self-critical thoughts about myself that I thought because they were true, were actually kind of the messages that most or all women get from society that I had internalized, right? That like my appearance was the most important thing, that my romantic life was the most important thing, that it was like good to be smart, but not too smart. And I shouldn't make, I should like worry a lot about how men felt at all times and try to please them and try to get their approval. Like all of this stuff that I thought was just true or just me was actually kind of the internalization of social messages and, you know, internalized so deeply that they just came out as if they were my own thoughts. Oh, yeah. So I kind of realized that, you know, I spent the first part of my career until I was about 33, I guess, working for political equality. I was a reproductive rights litigator and then I was an academic and did policy work. So I was doing the political struggle, but what I realized was that the internal personal liberation has to happen too and that Lots of people are doing the political stuff and almost nobody was doing, well, I didn't see anybody doing that personal liberation side the way I would with the social justice lens. And so that's why I kind of feel like I'm on a mission to help women understand that 
they feel and think the way they do, not because they're crazy or there's something wrong with them, but because they've absorbed all of these messages society gives them, and they've absorbed them so seamlessly from such a young age that they just feel natural like their own thoughts. But you can learn to identify them and change them. Yeah, that's so good. And I find that um, as midlife women, I know you're not quite midlife yet, but I know you're uh, part of the sisterhood and you totally understand that, you know, we start to become very aware of what thoughts we're getting from our, our childhood, like our parents. Mm-hmm. But what you're talking about kicks it up a notch, right? It's not just that we're getting this shit from our parents and from the way we grew up, but it's much more pervasive in society. Yeah. And some of it comes through your parents because they grew up in the same society, right? So like you may remember, oh, well, my mother always told me the most important thing was to find a man. And you're like, oh, that's from my mom. And it is sort of from your mom, but she got it from society. And she was telling you that. And then you had all these social messages reinforcing it. As opposed to if your mother was like, the most important thing in life is to collect a lot of lizards, right? Or like something else (laughs) that no one else was saying. It wouldn't have such, you know, it wouldn't become such a deep problem. There's so much social emphasis on it. That's so funny. I think my kids are going to grow up with the thought about collecting lizards because we did actually have a lot of lizards. Oh, listen, my little, my little brother, we had like turtles hatching in the bathtub. We had it all. <laughs> we accidentally brought a lizard back from Florida in a backpack. And then before we knew it through the wonders of Parthenogenesis, we had a family of five. And they lasted for like nine years. And then a- another one of my sons ended up with crested geckos that were a breeding pair. So the whole lizard thing just really makes me laugh. <laughs> Wait, you had a lizard, a lizard that self-reproduced? Yes, house geckos. Oh my God. I know. And the funny thing was, first of all, it was when we found it, we found the lizard when uh, we had just realized that we had a lot of damage from Uh, that was kind of related to the Katrina hurricane. Mm -hmm. And even though we were in Toronto, there was a related flood. And, And so the house was upside down. And then all of a sudden, there's this lizard running around. So I was, you know, worried about $40,000 of damage in my basement and also how to feed this little lizard. So (laughs) it turns out that I had a friend who was an expert. And so she told me what to do. And I created a perfect habitat. The next thing I know, I'm looking in there one day and I felt like a cartoon character, you know, squeaking my eyes going, what am I looking at here? And I started screaming, there's a baby lizard. There's a baby lizard. Oh my God. And my family's like, mommy, you are crazy. It's a cricket. I'm like, no, it's a baby lizard. (laughs) Oh my God. I can't, I just, I'm going to need to scrub my brain out after this. I know. So some lizards do this parthenogenesis thing, which really seems like a miracle, but yeah, she reproduced and then her babies had babies and then her babies had babies. Those babies had babies. So we had three generations laying eggs, hatching, and they lived, they lived for a very long time. So well, this podcast is now called lizards in the middle. (laughs) Exactly. Oh my gosh. You know, it, it's a funny thing. And I did do another podcast. We had another lizard incident with a death. And um, there was one. Uh, we had a lizard. The lizards died when my kid was at university. So that was like a, like a whole thing. But anyway, we digress. So, but I think yeah. we should bring it back because the lizards were replicating the way the patriarchy replicates. It oh, my gosh. That's perfect. It repl- <laughs> yes. It replicates itself. And we don't even notice that it's happening. Right? And it just like keeps going and keeps going. Oh my God, I'm crying over here in Toronto. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's true. It really does keep going. You don't know what's happening. And I love, I love that you so uh, you were working, doing this work, but you still didn't realize how it was affecting your life personally. Like, that's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think it's more like I just, there was just this disconnect between like my beliefs about women's capabilities and how important it was to be confident and not care what people or men thought about them and how like you're, you know, whether you get married shouldn't be the most important thing about you. Like I had all these political beliefs, but I, but then I personally was like spinning out if I didn't get a text message back from some dude that I'd only met the night before. <laughs> so there was just this like disconnect there. And, um, and when I learned coaching, you know, as you and I both know, since we have the same teacher, we did learn about the kind of evolutionary biology reasons that your brain operates the way it does. But what I realized was missing from that, for women at least, was all of the socialization that also feeds in. So I see it as like two streams feeding in, which is why I think women feel so crazy all the time. Yeah. And the thing I've really noticed is that there are a couple of thoughts that um, seem to be causing a lot of problems in these areas. So aside from the fact that our bodies are changing, um, I think what's fueling some of the unhappiness about the body um, are thoughts like these, like younger is better than older. Mm-hmm. That's one for sure. And I catch myself thinking that too. Um, not as often now that I have some skills and I've been questioning things, but it's very common to think that younger is better than older. And I think that drives a lot of, you know, just dismissing everything that's older as worse, especially as you are becoming older and wiser and not really valuing uh, what that means and how you can contribute as a result of that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I do think that there's that, that we get that social message a lot, but I also am kind of It's like I'm skeptical in this way that at any stage of life, our brain tells us, well, if things were different, it would be better, right? So like you might be thinking, oh, when I was younger, it was better. But when you were younger, you were worried about the size of your thighs or whether you were going to find a partner. Like it's not, we like romanticize the past or whatever thing we think we want that we think is going to make us happy, right? So true. But like I have clients all the time. And one of the things that's fascinating about the age obsession is that I have clients in their 30s who have this problem. Because it's not caused by actually aging, it's caused by your thoughts about it. Like, so Absolutely, yeah. I have clients who are like, well, my mother told me, you know, my mother told me if I didn't get married by the time I was 25, I'd be an old maid and now I'm 35, so I'm basically 80, right? Like it's all your thoughts. But when it's, so I see this in weight a lot, women who've gained weight and are like, I only weighed what I used to weigh when I was 23. And I'm like, yeah, when you were 23, were you super confident? It's like, no, of course not, right? <laughs> You're a mess. So I think that that happens with age too, that we like look back, we're like, oh, but if I was younger, everything would be better. But if you were younger, you would just have some, it's like mad libs. You'd have something else and fill in the blank. If I was this, everything would be better, right? Mad libs. (laughs) Mad libs are so good, yeah. (laughs) That's why thought work is so transformative is that you realize that it's not actually about what the number is on the scale or what the number is on your birthday or what the skin of your chin looks like, right? It's not about any of that. It's about your thoughts about it. Like, I am super excited to get older, and that's because my thoughts about it, right? And someone who's terrified of it, that's because of their thoughts about it. It's so true, you know, and I like to think that, that you know, uh, well, a lot of comedians talk about this, that when you get older, you just give fewer fucks, right? It's just like, oh, I, I just don't care anymore. I don't care as much about what people think. But what I've noticed is that when it comes to aging and physical features, like, 
boobs sagging or nipples, one going down and one going forward or the crepiness that I've started to notice in my neck or when I catch the light just right when I'm driving and I look in the, um, in the mirror, that sometimes if, if the light is just right, I can see that my cheek, that the skin tone uh, of my cheek is a little bit different. And, you know, and then there's the obvious things like wrinkles and lines and, and chin hair is something I'm always complaining about. So mm-hmm. I, I do, I don't know. I, I think that some of these things I thought I would care less but I'm surprising myself a little bit that I care. Like, I don't care enough to have surgery, mm-hmm. but I care enough to spend more on cream. But it's still your thoughts that create that caring, right? Absolutely. That's yeah. the point, is that it's still your thoughts. And I think it depends on, I mean, I always think that, like, one of the gifts of, ha- of being, like, a teenager who was not, you know, conventionally attractive or of learning to love myself as a fat woman, like, one of the gifts of that is that I just... I didn't get dependent on like the young and pretty privilege, hmm. right? And so it's like it builds character. <laughs> like I lear- had to learn how to value myself, create my own definition of beauty, like all of that. So I think because like it was hard while it was happening and I certainly didn't think it was a blessing when I was 25, but now I just feel like, and of course I'm sure like new thoughts I don't predict will come up, but I also feel like, well, I've already, re- I've like redefined, we live in a hugely fat phobic society and I've redefined that and I believe that I'm beautiful and sexy and I found evidence of that. Like, and I see that that's reflected back to me when I believe that. So I think having done that work, it's so clear to me that like, it really doesn't matter. Yes, it matters what society tells us because that helps us identify the thoughts and how to change them. But the fact that society tells you that isn't a reason to just have to like accept and believe it and keep replicating it like a lizard in your own brain. So how did society get the upper hand with all these messages? Like all societies have different values and stories and myths and, you know, even around the globe, like the American dream is a powerful story we have here. They don't have that in France. It's not the French dream, right? There's different ethoses and beliefs. And, you know, when you're growing up in a culture, that's that part of what culture is, is like, teaching new babies or people who come the set of like beliefs and values and ideals and understandings that we all have like organized our lives around. And so of course all that's happening and you don't know, you're you're not aware that it's happening. So you're, you're absorbing it all unconsciously. You're just being, it's like somebody's typing in the open source code in your brain. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great way to think about it. <laughs> open source code. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It is super common just to just to all of a sudden just be one with these messages. And it does take a lot of unpeeling and unwork, uh, you know, working backwards to really decide how you want to feel and mm-hmm. think on purpose. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that, um, that it's just become so obvious too with aging is that men don't seem to be struggling the same way that women do. Men don't seem to be socialized to think the same way about gray hair, about no hair. It's just completely different for men. Yeah, because men are socialized to believe that their accomplishments and particularly their professional accomplishments are the most important thing about them. And women are socialized to believe that their appearance is the most important thing about them and that their appearance should be a particular way, right? Like young, pleasing to straight men, really pleasing to straight white men. Um, so 
of like they just are getting a totally different message, right? I mean, we see in Hollywood movies like people playing women the same age as a male lead playing his mother, yes. right? And his girlfriend is played by a twenty-year-old. Um, so men are taught that they can get more distinguished and you know more handsome and more powerful as they age. Men's power is built on money and profession, and sometimes just kind of you know not it doesn't always have to be money. It might be um, community standing or political power or whatever it is. And women are taught that their power is, has to do with their looks and with their youth, right? That it's like a particular kind of look. But that's one of the things that I really um, love about the idea of getting older is that I think it's no coincidence that older women are kind of feared or you know, stereotyped as, it's like we're I, they're either considered like, you know, sweet and harmless and confused, or they're like malevolent witches. <laughs> but I actually love that because I think, <clears throat> you know, in an um, in a kind of anthropology sense, there's you know, three archetypes of women. There's the maiden or the virgin. That's like the young, beautiful women, you, woman that you know, a man wants to marry. And then there's the mother, and then there's the crone. But the crone is the one who knows everything and has no like does not give a fuck anymore. Right. And I actually think like I do so much work on myself to <clears throat> to undo all the socialization of caring, of thinking that like what men think about me or my romantic status or how many men want to fuck me is the most important thing about me. Right. Yeah. And um, and I like imagine there will be so much at the less that I care about that, the more free I feel. Right. And so. I just, and I'm not saying that older women don't care about being sexually attractive. Of course, like sexuality exists at every age. But I think the reason that like old women or the crone are considered so scary is that their life isn't based around how fuckable they are. Right. And so they have, and they know so much, they're wise. So like they're the ones who are considered to have right healing powers or magical powers or to know the wisdom, like the wisdom of nature and folklore. Like these are the women who whose life is not organized around catering to men anymore and who then have so much wisdom and knowledge and power. So I, I just think the crone is like such a powerful archetype and I'm like excited. Like if I could just live in the woods now with my cauldron, <laughs> I think I would be happy. Like I'm excited to give less and less fucks about whether or not I look like a 19 year old on the cover of Glamour magazine. <laughs> That is the, I love that way to look about it and uh, to look at it. And one of the things that comes up over and over with my people is that they're just closed off to the idea of, of what's actually possible. Like the message that they're getting is that there are so many things, so many stereotypes, so much stigma about aging and what's not possible, what they cannot do, mm -hmm. that just to allow the ability to imagine what is possible and what you can do is very uncomfortable and very, very foreign. So I, I love what you just said, that you're turning that scary kind of negative image completely upside down as something desirable because it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love those lists that go around that are like the ages at which people started doing things. Right? Like Grandma Moses started painting when she was 80. <laughs> yeah. 80. 80. That's like I could fuck around for another 30, 50 years before I even do anything and I could still start. Right? <laughs> like, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, there's so many examples. And I think of this with my life. Like, 
I, four years ago, I was running a think tank on public accommodations law, right? And now I have a million dollar coaching business. <laughs> like just the amount that I've had to learn and grow and change in the last four years is crazy. And I do think that like, I'm sure this is true with, with kind of your clients. I see it even with mine where they're like, well, now I'm married and have kids and have a job. So like, that's it for life. <laughs> you know, like nothing can ever change now. It's already too late, right? Yeah, like, I totally. I started something. Like this morning I posted this thing on Instagram. So, um, you know, Ocasio, the woman, this young 29-year-old who won, who got elected to Congress. She beat this big incumbent in New York. Um, so somebody had tweeted like, oh, she makes me feel bad about myself because I haven't achieved as much. And then she responded and was like, listen, last year, I just bought my first couch ever. Last year I was bartending and I just got health insurance like two months ago. <laughs> like, right? Like things can change so quickly and you're so much closer to where you want to be than you think. Yeah. So like that was so powerful. And then someone direct messaged me and was like, yeah, but she's 29 and I'm 39. <laughs> oh my like, God. That is not the point. <laughs> right? No, it's like, not the point. And I have to tell you that last year something happened to me that was so freaking crazy that there's no way I could have imagined it. And something I made with my own little hands was was featured at the Museum of Modern Art in a, in a, in a, an exhibit for four months at freaking MoMA. Like there's right. no way in a million years that uh, I was 54 last year that I would have ever imagined that could ever happen in my wildest dreams, yet it happened. Right, right. So yeah, it is a constant reminder that uh, when we choose to think things like this, like my boobs aren't good enough or the chin hair is making me look, you know, <laughs> I don't know, just not, not pretty. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. Um, and that I am aging is negative. When we choose to think those things, it's just another reason, another excuse, another way to stay small and just let ourselves off the hook of growth. I mean, I just like, if you think about all of the mental energy that women spend worrying about their appearance, like what, if that went away tomorrow, what would we do with our lives? Like, I think we would have taken over the world and probably colonized Mars by then. <laughs> right? I mean, that's yeah. like, it's like, of course I don't blame women. We're taught to think this way, but to, this is why I feel so passionate about this work is like, to me, it is fucking tragic that there are women with intellectual and artistic and creative gifts that they could develop that would contribute to the world and their own personal happiness. And they're walking around thinking about how many calories they ate for breakfast and like being upset that their roots are showing because they need to dye their hair because they're not allowed for it to go gray, right? Like that to me is just such a like criminal waste of human potential. Yeah, it really is. And, and um, I did a podcast and a blog about the chin hair topic and I have been plagued with this problem, especially since menopause. And um, I, I haven't wrestled it to the ground yet. I think, <laughs> I think I have some new ideas this year. But one time I did a little calculation about how much time I, I wasted weekly on dealing with it, you know, on tweezing. And when I was really thinking about it, I don't remember the number, but it's very common for me to sit down for 15 minutes in a shot and mm -hmm. tweeze, right? I have my little, my 10 times magnification mirror and I have an assortment of tweezers. And when I started to really think about it, I listen to podcasts while I'm doing it. I set up the bathroom. I get all comfy cozy. And what's happened is that I started well, it's, it's like a couple hours a week for sure. 
Mm-hmm. And I started to think that once I solve this problem, I would be sad not to have that time. <laughs> mm. And I guess it got mixed up in, in my mind. And, and that really reminded me of uh, one of the first jobs I had in public health in the 80s was as a tobacco use prevention officer in public health. And we were working on one of the, the first bylaw in Canada mm-hmm. to get tobacco um, use out of the workplace. And uh, I, inter- I interviewed managers of different size businesses. And one manager of a small kind of business, she tracked how much time um, employees took smoke breaks. She mm-hmm. would track it. And she realized that it was the equivalent of about two weeks a year. And, you know, with smoking, smoking doesn't feel relaxing, but in, it's interpreted as relaxing because even though it's speeding up your heart rate, it is, um, you're breathing deeply and you're taking a break. Right. And, and I think that's kind of what's happened to me with tweezing. <laughs> well, and I don't think that's an accident because women are, because women are encouraged to spend so much time and money on physical maintenance, they're encouraged to think of it as like a hobby. Yes. And like, it's the time you have for yourself is the time you spend conforming to patriarchy's beauty requirements. And like, we all are like, I'm complicit in this too. And I think we all are. But I notice like, I'm sometimes resentful of the time where I'm like, oh, I have to do this thing in order to present a certain way in order to be taken a certain way. Yeah. But at least like, we're aware of that. And I think it's so important for women to develop the ability to have time and creative pursuits for themselves that it's I mean, listen, makeup can be an art. I'm not saying it can't, but like the beautification of your physical body for other people to enjoy shouldn't be your main creative or relaxation outlet. Right. And I I shouldn't be hiding out in the bathroom in order to secure that time. (laughs) Right. Like what if you're like, hey, family, like I'm going to be in the bedroom for an hour with the door closed with my podcast and my candle and my pillows and I don't want to hear a word out of any of you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that whole tweezing thing really did make me think about a few things, and um, I don't know. Anyway, um, I, it is on my agenda again this year to, to deal with, and um, I feel success coming on. But I, <laughs> but I am very aware of, of, of the spinoffs around tweezing, and it really, and the way I think about it is that there's something wrong with me, right? And right. I don't like that. I don't like thinking that way, and it makes me feel like shit. So that has to stop. Yeah, and I just think that people don't, People, women don't know because no one's taught them how that you are allowed to develop your own definition of what looks good, right? Your own definition of beauty. And the truth is, I think that naturally, if we are not deluged with cultural messages, like we tend to be attracted to and find appealing people close to our, like I noticed for me when I look at, so I'm 37 now, and now men in their early 50s look kind of young and normal to me. And like men in their 20s look like children. Right. right. Like that's changed as I've gotten older. When I was 22, men in their 50s looked very old and weren't attractive to me. And now they are. So this idea that like men are only or, you know, whoever is only attracted to 25 year olds or only 25 year olds are beautiful. Like that's what we see in all the media and advertising. And that's what we're told is beautiful. But you are allowed to create your own definition of beauty. It is possible to see yourself as beautiful, even if you don't match up with like the prevailing cultural norms. And this stuff is complicated. Like I, you know, think that I live a, it's subversive of me in some ways to be um, confident about my beauty and sexuality as a fat woman, but I'm also white. I have white privilege. I'm very femme. 
I have long hair. Like I, you know, I still perform that femininity in a way. But there is, even if you're, so I'm not saying that everybody has to like, I don't know, stop shaving their legs and only wear Birkenstocks and like house dresses, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> Having an 80s flashback. Yeah. yeah, but you are allowed to find yourself beautiful even if your tits don't look the way they used to. Yeah. And like, who says that the way they used to was better? Like, that's what I'm trying to get at is we just assume and don't question that what it looked like was better. And I will tell you, I have like dated as being like, you know, 30 and a size eight or 10 and being almost 40 and a size like 18. And my sex life, my dating life, anything that has to do with how other people perceive me visually, the amount of compliments I get on the street, all of that is so much bigger now because I'm so different inside. Yes. And because my, confident comes, my confidence comes through. So I looked more like conventionally attractive and quote unquote normal before, but I didn't feel beautiful. So it really didn't matter. Right? So like what we want is to feel confident and beautiful about ourselves. And we think we'll get that if enough, if we make ourselves look such a way that like other people will approve of us or we will think we will like, it's like we want to change our bodies to get the thought that we're beautiful, but we can we are allowed to think that now about how you look now exactly and and the people listening to women in the middle they're very familiar with the thought model so really what we're talking about is we want to believe that changing the sea is going to make us feel better and really we all know although even though we don't internalize it all the time that it's our thoughts that create our feelings so if we want to feel confident if we want to feel beautiful that really does come from the way we we're, we're thinking about our body but with all that, uh, what are some of your top tips to learn how to love your body, especially in its older and wiser glory? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think there's, I have kind of three top tips, I would say. Number one is you want to change your visual diet so that you are like for younger women, I say, look for women like your size are larger and older women can do that. But I would also change it to be looking at older women. So one of the kind of few things they've tested that has um, kind of statistically significant, provable impact on body image is um, looking at bodies of women who look like you, basically, look like real people. So looking at fashion magazines correlates with a decrease in body satisfaction right afterwards. Looking at images of real women who are your size or larger or your age or older or whatever it is correlates with an increase in body satisfaction. Ooh, so so good. So if you use Instagram, I like highly recommend that you unfollow immediately any like thinspiration people on your Instagram. (laughs) Follow. And there's a lot of amazing older women out there doing incredible things, whether they're like, they might even be older models, right? Or they might be CEOs or they might be actresses like Helen Mirren is actually like kind of a, she's beautiful, but she kind of is like a normal looking middle-aged woman. So um, making sure that your visual diet has a lot of those women in it and isn't just like tw- young 25-year-olds. with. Oh, I love that. And on Instagram, there's a lot of older women rocking fashion, like talking totally. about fashion. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah. So like do a detox of your Instagram feed. It's the only time I ever will use the word detox. But like do an Instagram detox and then restock with women <laughs> who are your age and older who are fabulous. And I use this even now. Like sometimes I put on an outfit and my like critical brain starts going rah, 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 
And then I think about like a fat blogger with great style and I imagine her wearing it. And I'm like, I would think that was totally cute if she wore it. Mm. Right? And then I'm like, I'm going to borrow that. I can think it's totally cute if I wear it, right? Like I'm just comparing myself like to her. So that's number one. Um, I think number two is I'm a big proponent of, if you're starting with bad body image, I'm a big proponent of using neutral thoughts. So when I was working up to body love, I was definitely at like, you know, 24 seven body loathing and going to like, you know, I, my body is so beautiful. It was like, I didn't believe any of that shit. (laughs) So I spent a whole summer walking around New York going, this is a human stomach. I have a human stomach. And I spent a whole summer going around New York looking at every time I saw a thin, conventionally attractive young woman and assumed her life was perfect, I would think to myself, all beings suffer. Now I tell my clients even Beyonce got cheated on, right? But it's like the same idea as like <laughs> noticing what you're attributing, right? You're like, oh, I want to look like that, so this. So my life will be perfect and I will feel beautiful and no one will ever hurt my feelings and I will always be happy and rich yeah. and young, right? Like, so. Um, Definitely working with really neutral thoughts. Like, this is a human chin. Many women have chins like I do. Some beautiful women have chins like I do, right? Like, some kind of neutral thought. And then the third one is really thinking, like, you know, women are taught that their bodies are objects to be decorated, but your body is not an object. It's a home, it's an animal you live in. And focusing on all the amazing things, like, your body is doing an incredible amount of like really complicated cellular processes every second just to keep you alive. And that's amazing. It's a miracle. It really is. And focusing on that rather than like, okay, so like, so your body didn't have time to do all that and keep your chin hair at a certain amount, you know, like give it a break. (laughs) It's it's doing a lot. Right. And so it's really focusing on like, and if you are athletic, even better, you could not even better, but like you can think about what your body can do. But I'm actually somebody with some like chronic illness pain stuff. So I'm not super athletic. So I don't, I'm for me, I can't be like, and it runs a marathon, but it doesn't have to. It like keeps me alive. It breathes. It digests my food. You know, it does all of this stuff for me. And it's not just some object for me to like manipulate for other people's approval. Yeah, that's so good. Such good reminders. And I think um, you've really given us a lot to think about. So you have a podcast. Can you tell us how to find it? Yes. It's called Unfuck Your Brain. Um, you can find it wherever you get podcasts. And I don't know if you do show notes, Susie, but if you yes. do, I'm, yeah. So there'll be a link there. Um, if you search Unfuck Your Brain, it'll come up. The only thing to know is that in the first, in the second U, I use an asterisk. So it's UNF asterisk CK, your brain. But if you search that or you search my name, you'll find the podcast. So that's the best way to find me. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I'll for sure be putting a show, a link in the show notes. Uh, Cara, thank you so much. I, I was excited to talk to you about this and I am just as excited now. <laughs> You've really helped us think about other ways to think about our amazing aging bodies, not just about droopy boobs, not just about chin hair, not just about crepey neck and wrinkles, but that it really is a work of art and something amazing. And if we can't get to amazing yet, we can just start by being grateful that we have a home to live in. Thank you so much. My pleasure. That's it for this episode. I think you would agree that there were more than a couple of truth bombs dropped in this episode. I'm sure your head is exploding as you became even more aware about the results that you create for yourself when you think about your body the way you currently do. 
Thoughts are optional, always. Now you have even more awareness and more ways to think about other ways to think about your amazing body. You can start by being grateful for your body because after all, it gives you a home to live in. One more thing. I want you to consider that improving self-image is really part of self-care. Really think about where you want to be this time next year. If it's not where you are right now, if you feel stuck by the way you think, if you feel like you've been wasting a lot of time with crappy thoughts like the ones we've been talking about today, then I want you to consider that it really might be the perfect time for you to take massive action and have your own back. You can make a change if you want to. You can get excited about your life again. So why not take the first step? Just head right over to www.talktosuzy.com and book a 10-minute call with me to talk about options to work together. Go ahead and apply. It's the first step. It's just a chat. And it's just to see if we're a good fit. It's a beautiful, risk-free gift that you can give yourself. And I can't wait to see your name in my calendar. If you like what you've heard on today's episode, just head over to the Women in the Middle podcast on iTunes and leave me a review. That would be awesome. Check out the show notes with more information and links at www.susierosenstein.com. Let's do this, ladies, one new and amazing thought at a time. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.